This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, Session 13, and the quote of the day is one that has traveled around the music industry for years and years, which is, learn everything there is to know about music, and then forget all of it, and just play. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Ruffini, and we're coming at you with information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And I'm really, really excited about the show I got today. Uh, I got my buddy Johnny Rabb on the show. And I met Johnny probably about, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago. Um, I met him at the the PASIC convention, the Percussive Arts Society International Convention. Uh, he had no idea who I was, but he at the time owned a uh, a drumstick company, and I was I was playing his uh, Johnny Rab Five A Ball drumsticks, and introduced myself, and you know we chatted for a while, and he was just like just super cool and down to earth, and uh, and I, I've kind of followed his career from there. He's been a, a Roland V drum uh, product specialist. He has his own line of Minel cymbals. He's uh, currently on tour with Collective Soul. He had a band, Biodiesel, uh, that he's been playing in for years. And he's just, he's an innovator. He he always has uh, some new and exciting ideas that are going on. And he's published books and done clinics all around the country. And I mean, I think when he was like 20 or something like that, he did his first clinic. I, he was He was really young. Um, he won the world's fastest drummer competition. So, he, you know, he's, he's definitely been around the block a few times and now he and I've become, uh, friends over, over the course of many phone calls and, and, uh, conversations about different things and different, uh, business ideas that we had and, and just concepts about drumming and, and things. So it's really, really cool to have him on the show. I talked to him, uh, before I did the interview, we talked for about, I think we talked for about two and a half hours and then decided, okay, let's try to do the interview tomorrow. So uh, this is the recording of of the conversation that we had the day after our two and a half hour conversation. So uh, this is Johnny Rabb. Check it out. I hope you guys like it. And uh, yeah, dig in for some, some great information from Johnny. Johnny, what's up, man? Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Nick, how you doing, buddy? Everything cool? Yeah, man, things are uh, things are good and cold here in New York. Likewise, here as we spoke earlier, and you picked a perfect time because it's like brand brand new year and everything's starting up again, and just trying to get everything lined up. And like back today, the first day of travel since I'd say about a month, so it's pretty cool. Yikes! Yeah, man. And hopefully, uh, everything's cool with the the planes and everything because you got all that snow down there. Yeah, I think I think so. I've just been uh it's been about I would say close to a foot of snow, maybe ten inches, and then just it it's not like Nashville. I used to live there for twelve years. That would shut it shut the uh city down for probably a month. No offense right. to the but Indies, you know, kinda used to it a little bit. Chicago's obviously very used to it and I lived there before, but now Indianapolis is uh this is a big snow for Indy. But anyway, it's uh kinda boring boring news there, but Definitely got all the car undone and all that, and ready to rock, and drove around earlier right, today. Right. So we're going. It's great. Dug out and ready to go then. Yeah, even a little runway coming into the parking spot that I hope no one takes. I'll be bombed. There you go. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. So you're getting ready to uh, go. You were saying you're getting ready to go to rehearse with uh, Collective Soul, right? 
yeah, there's two um, rehearsal days uh, tomorrow and Thursday, and then a little bit of a break, and then we do just uh, four shows in a row, like kind of Colorado, uh, Reno, um, Salt Lake area, and uh, two Colorados, and then two Salt Lake and Reno the next week. And then we kick off more in um, a Canadian tour, I think, in, in April, and there's like a rock boat cruise thing, which would be really fun end of February with a bunch of other, I guess, rock bands. And, uh, so that would be cool. I love cruise ships. So that'll be fun. Nice. And, uh, the whole thing is really a fun gig and we're just going to go kind of polish up, which we haven't played in a little bit. And, uh, yeah, it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be great. Great year. So how did you get that gig? Cause I know that a lot of people that, that listen to this show, um, they ask a lot about, you know, how to get touring work or, you know, how to really make that, that step from playing locally to getting tied in with a, a national act or, you know, doing more touring work. So how did that, how did that gig come about for you? So let me just answer your, how the gig happened. Um, like right bluntly, definitely because of Jen Lowe was another Jennifer Lowe, uh, I call her Jen, everyone calls her Jen, uh, percussionist and drum set players, loves all around great musician, singer, songwriter, been friends with her for a long time and everyone should know her. Um, you know, check out her, her site. Um, we'll try to get a link to you for her music and super creative, just a lot of ideas. And it was It was absolutely because of her. In fact, I texted her the other day, um, just to be like, Hey, thanks because of you. I'm have work this year. And she's like, you know, she's so cool about it. But we used to gig and work together when I was in Nashville and she was in Atlanta and her band Acres, Tim Acres, uh, was the front man of that band. And she was in that. They were a killer band. And uh, we used to kind of swap gigs. They'd come to Nashville and we'd go to Atlanta. My band was Super Acting Heroes, which I kind of fronted a little bit, like doing rappy, vocally type stuff and playing kit. Playing kit. And at the end of the story is we knew each other for years. So um, always kind of looking out for each other. She has worked with Jason Mraz. Uh, she's also worked with, you know, Ed Rowland, which is a collective soul singer. And um, what happened was Nam two, three years ago, three years ago um, in L.A., I was out there working for Roland, doing the Roland uh, TD30 or something like that. In fact, that's exactly what it was. Um, if you follow me on this, basically, at Nam show, you kind of go and, you know, I don't want to paint the wrong picture. You don't go to Nam or I don't and try to get gigs. You go to NAM. I was working, but um, right. NAM, NAM is a good idea, but we can get to that later. But basically, at NAM, it was Jen's birthday, and she said, dude, I'm having a birthday thing at this bar. I want you to come. I'm having a bunch of my buddies now, friends, and I'm like, totally will. And so that night, um, you know, NAM gets a little bit tiring, even though it's fun, because it's all the gear, it's a little bit sensory overload. So right. I went to the bar, and... Uh, bunch of her buddies were there. Our, our friend Alan, who does accounting, a great person that a lot of people should know as well. Everyone should. Uh, he was there. We're like, oh my God, hey. And a couple store owners. I'm like, oh dude, hey. To, you know, store owners that I know. And, um, and then uh, this guy, you know, keep in mind, I've already had a happy birthday, Jen, and we're like all having, you know, beers or whatever. And this this dude was there. Um, and I say dude because I hadn't met him before. And so we right. start talking. We start talking. Like, you normally would talk, not like, you know, I didn't recognize him off the bat or anything. I'm like, yeah, man, how you doing? And we just started talking. And he's like, I said, man, so what do you, uh, not what do you do? Because it's like a weird question, but hey, or, you know, what is your, what's your profession? What kind of, what are you doing in music? 
your soul. And I, uh, you know, say, say that again. You cu- you cut out there for. Oh, second. okay. Uh, he says I'm in a band. You say, what do you do? And yeah, I said, what do you, you know? What do you do? Or what do you? What is your? What do you do in the music industry? Oh, I'm in a band uh, called Collective Soul, and I said, oh, cool. Um, I know I know of uh, the drummer drummer Ryan Hoyle because we used to, you know, I think he had an artist deal with us for when I had the stick company. And yeah. and I just flat out told him like I was super jealous of Ryan because I love your band and, and I didn't get too crazy because you, you get to a point where you don't you don't want to overdo it with anybody. It was just a normal guy, right. right? And so I said I I said man I really I said I would love to have had that gig, and I and I even emailed Ryan and said good job congrats on that gig and uh, right was happy for him and he goes well it's funny enough you I uh, asked we're actually looking for a new drummer and Ryan had not it wasn't replacing Ryan or anything like that it was another drummer. And it wasn't even the word replacing. They just, you know, I don't like that type of, it's not like I replaced anyone. It's just, they happen to be right. looking for a drummer. Right. Uh, he should come and audition. Now, normally, that type of thing turns out, can turn out to nothing. But you never know. Right. It like usually cattle does. Call. It's just either a cattle call or you don't even get to go to the cattle call. So, right. it just that's how it goes. Nashville, anywhere, in my opinion. And, uh you can even have somebody in the band go, I want you to be the drummer. And then you end up going, you never get a call or and we can talk about that later. That's an important conversation. So his name is Will Turpin, the bassist. Great dude. And then Jen comes over and then Jen is so nice and so supportive of people and me that she, and I saw her doing it. And I wasn't embarrassed. I was more like, what do you, what do you call it? Like shit, not shy even, you know, confident in my drumming, but just like, right. you don't have to talk me up. And she really was being cool and talking me up. And, and the manager was there, uh, their, their manager too, because she's friends with him. And she literally just goes, this guy's your, the drummer you need. Like, you know, kind of, I can hear her out of my ear and I'm like talking to other people and I'm like, Oh my God, Jen's really going for it. Like in a great way. And, right. uh, the story is cool because, She's like, this is the guy you need. And, and Will's like, oh, cool. We're going to tell him the manager. And I'm like, oh, no. Like, in, 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 a, in a way, I was like, don't overdo it because I don't want to, like, let him down or disappoint him or, you know. But at the same time, I was like, go for it, you know. Why not? Right. So we got done with the uh, the party, and then uh, everyone headed off. And I'm like, you know, later, Will, see you again. And then the next morning at about, like, 9 or something, I get a, a text from Jen going, look, I'm, and this is where Jen completely is, is just amazing. Like one of her many qualities. She's like, look, I'm uh, bringing over Will to the Roland booth and I'm doing the TD 30 demo, which got a bunch of samples and my own music and stuff. And, goes, and she says, upload one of those, uh, you know, collective soul, you know, buy a tune and upload it to your, uh, memory stick or whatever, however you do it and put it in the, you know, I know how to do it, but you know what I'm saying? She was just telling me, put it in the, right, in the right. module so you can play along with it. And I literally went, no way, no, no, no. That's, and I even said, it's like, that's super cheesy. Not going to do that. She's like, <laughs> and I'll never forget it. She goes, dude. And I always trust her, but she just goes, trust me. It won't be. Do it. I'm telling you, do it. So I did. So I got their turn to run and put it on. And then, and then when I said, she goes, when you see me come up, just, just gradually do your own demo because I want Will to see your other playing and, you know, whatever. But then do like something with that. And, uh, I did my little demo and they came up and I was like, oh, cool. Will's here. They came up and, uh, I played and Will was cool and smiling and had the headphones on and uh, maybe 25 people with headphones, you know, on Amigos. Right. And, and, uh, 
I'm jamming. And then I decided to like, I did part of run, like maybe for like up to the chorus. And then I said, Oh, here's a cool feature. You can do time scratch. And I like, you know, sped it up to like house tempo and then switched the kit to like a house remix thing. And then did run at like one thirty. It's normally about like uh one ten, about maybe even, you know, something like that. So right. sped it up and, uh, and he was like laughing, smiling. And then like, I like got out of it kind of quick. Cause I didn't want it to be like, you know, Hey, I'm overdoing it. Look, I'm playing all your catalog. Right, so, right, right. and then, uh, he, uh, you know, from what I hear from the, what happened is, is then he called, uh, Ed, who's the leader and singer. And then Ed called me and said, we were going to have auditions. Uh, but we just want to know if you want to do the gig. And so, uh, he said, we'll really enjoyed seeing what you did and all that stuff nice. and uh yeah so it was it, and then i still didn't know because i just have had so many things go really almost super close to uh mm-hmm. i mean to where super close <laughs> and then not happen so i've learned to like not even think twice if they said oh we went with our best buddy or we got a call last night from my friend frank and he's gonna play you know right right, right so uh he called and then uh that literally is how I got the gig because uh, if, if, and that's how gigs usually are, are received, I think, is it's not normally, it's, it's, it's the being ready and knowing how to play your instrument and knowing how to do it as much as you can, knowing the songs, but knowing how to play professionally. And then opportunity meets right timing. And that right timing, uh, and Will and I both spoke about it, we wanted to support uh, our friend Jen's birthday, but we were exhausted. We both were like, we we because of Jen we we drug ourselves instead of like sleeping or whatever we're like oh it's Jen so we told her we're like we're gonna be there and we but both of us were like we were so tired so we were glad in hindsight that we that Jen had her party and that that yeah. was the you know unplanned meeting. Uh, See, it's stuff like that that I always think that you know it's supposed to happen that way. Yeah, and you it, know, it, there's a yeah. reason why you went and didn't instead of calling it a night, you know, and there's a reason why ever she was there and. Oh yeah. You know, things happen for a reason. Yeah. She, uh, I mean, and she keeps saying, Oh no, no. And if she heard this, you know, podcast or whatever she does here at, uh, she remember like, Oh, it's not a big deal, but it is a big deal. Um, cause she plays drum set as well. And she plays it great. And she plays percussion. Amazing. And, uh, both equal. And, uh, she could have auditioned, you know what I mean? So it's really cool right. that, uh, went to bat for me and knew that I was open for any gigs and, and stuff like that. So that's how, and that's a long story, but that you never know. Um, and yeah. I've been doing this for 25 professionally and playing for like 32 or so, 35 mm-hmm. maybe. And, uh, I'm 41 and, uh, man, I've never received uh, a gig from an audition, even though the auditions went well, never. They've always you know been. What? You're probably the, 15th person that's that said that that's how you know, it goes. That it's that like you know steve bowman was saying that you know you're more likely to get a gig from being at someone's barbecue than going to an audition and you know it's like you're probably run into somebody at you know the grocery store and get a gig that way rather than the audition and i talked to rich redmond he's never gotten a gig from an audition yep um, and, yep and rich and i or he may it. have got yeah, did he? He may have gotten one. I don't know, but I know that he auditioned for a bunch of people and didn't get gigs from that. Um, and because it's like you get thirty people in there to audition, how do they, how are they going to differentiate drummer number seventeen versus num- number twenty three? 
Well, you know, very true point. I'll just say about Rich that him and I used to hang out. Uh, you know, he, uh, thankfully he was one of our artists for the Johnny Rabsticks years ago, and uh, we used to hang out in Soundcheck's parking lot, which was the big rehearsal place where our office was. And we'd talk about it all the mm-hmm. time. You'd, I'd be in my office in Soundcheck in Nashville, where there's a hallway. You'd see country artists walking by daily because that's where they rehearsed, where they stored their gear. And uh, I see my buddies walk by my, I'm like, hey, man, what are you doing here? Oh, I just auditioned for Bing, 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 Big Country Artist. I'm like, dude, I work in this building, and I and I don't <laughs> even hear those auditions. You don't. So you never know how it goes. Right. And, I'll, you know, my experience with uh, auditions, I'll never forget. I got recommended uh, by my friend, I won't even name him, but to do uh, – I think I'll just even be cool. I don't mind saying it. Jody Messina's gig, because I didn't get the gig. But got recommended um, uh, by my friend, I'll say it, by my friend Joel, who is a longtime drummer for Jody. And, he's, and he told her, I've got your drummer, I've got the replacement. Uh, this is the guy. Uh, I went out and got the, you know, two CDs, did the audition, even did some loop work to try to, you know, be like, you know. And uh, it was funny because I don't, I didn't, I don't think I got the gig anyway, just so everyone that is listening can understand. It's not like I'm like, I nailed it. I did fine. I did fine. Right. But I had like a day to prepare. And I remember going in going like, I got these tunes, it's fine. But like, it wasn't nailed in the sense of every, you know, just like the record and whatever. And and before I went in, I had a guy before me, you can hear through the door. And I was just like, man, this guy's nailing it. This guy, I think he deserves a gig. I had been sitting there thinking that. And I've I've known that guy for a long time. And I went in and did all the stuff. And, you know, the bass player is the band leader. And, uh, did it like maybe five to six other dudes did it. Got home and the guy calls me. Well, I just want to let you know you didn't get the gig. And I go, I gotta ask. Did uh did the guy before me get it? Oh no, we went with Bing Bing Bing. And I was like, and I remember kind of was unpro of me, but I couldn't help it. I go, Are you serious? Like, cause I thought the dude I've heard almost everyone, and I thought the dude before me did so well, like preparing. You know, he, right, right. he did fantastic, and. uh I was, I guess, are you serious? And it turned out, you know, my question was kind of legit because uh, it was the, it was basically the best buddy of the bass player that, you know, sort of, sort of decided, you know, they're just kind of what it is. Yeah, and uh, that's what we all have to realize. Sometimes it's you can have your heart set on, on, uh, you know, getting a gig, go in there and be ready, and it could have. It's not unfair, but think about it. If you if you had a band that was you know, you'll say it's a multi platinum band. Let's say it's not. Who cares? Some some uh, big record seller hit radio thing, and the drummer you start with is cool, but they decide to leave or they get let go or whatever. Pretty much, if it's a band of four people, you're gonna have four people that have buddies that are either killer or not, but they're still buddies, and they're gonna probably mm-hmm. go to that list first, and it's. It's not just going to be cattle call. I mean, I, I, that's just the way that I think it goes. And if it didn't, we would all, there would be an exact book out saying, how do you get a gig in a drumming as a drummer? There would be a, a right. book. Well, you call right. managers and, and there's no book. There's no book. Right. Even if there tries to be books, there's not. Right. My, my, I, I think, you know, and, and real quick, I think advice books, I guess like, Zorro wrote one or something like I haven't read it. I should, but uh, I bet you. I, I actually I read it. It's good. It is. It's good. But I so I don't want to discount. Big gig. Any, 
yeah, I don't want to discount anybody or how rich uh, does crash course or I also speak and do clinics and whatever and have advice. But I would say there's no rule like one, like here's what you do and it guarantees you auditions or gigs. That's all I'm saying. Right. I think that if you, you know, I think that we're on the same page with that where, you know, like I, I do clinics myself and I, so I think that if someone goes to your clinic, Rich's clinic, reads Zorro's book, goes to my clinic, maybe they can pull out bits of information from each of them and then kind of put the road roadmap together, you know, but nobody's like, listen, you don't need to go to anybody else's clinic. Listen to mine and you will, you know, you'll be the the next whoever, you know, so, that's, like that, you is, said, that, no... that is correct. And, you know, it's a great topic that we're speaking of because in Nashville, the other thing is once you get in a gig, that does not mean you're in there for forever. There's so many different power plays and different things that can happen from the artist, from uh, a band leader going, you know, I don't want my buddy in here. Hey, Johnny, I'm going to try somebody else. And you think, Oh my God, I'm going to be bummed out and sad. You can't, you can't, you have to, uh, not worry about it. The only thing that guarantees you not getting fired. And sometimes as we know, this doesn't even work, but it's your own band. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's so many people that, that I was just, I just finished, um, Danny Serafin's book from Chicago. Right. So and, good point. Uh, yeah. Killer book. It's such a good book, but, uh, you know, he talks about how he just, you know, he got fired. Out of his I, own band. And yeah, I was, I was reading. Like, what are you talking about? It's yeah, my I band. Know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, oh man. And that's uh, you know, thumbing through an old modern drummer. Um, the and I'm so sh- ashamed that like right now his name is not Stan Lynch from uh, there it is from uh, Tom Petty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember like thumbing through to like just old old modern drummer the other last month or so, and just being mesmerized reading this article. I'm like, there he is. I didn't even know they wrote this article. And it's like he was devastated when Tom Petty was all looking for a new, new change in direction. Sorry, dude. He thought, and I get it. Why if I'm part of this Tom Petty sound. Why would I ever get let go? And he was, he was devastated. Now he's producing and I guess doing really great, but wow. Well, what know? about, uh, what's his name? Just got fired too. Joey Jordison just got fired too. I did not know that. Yeah. What From, is that about? Uh, uh, not. I don't think, I, yeah, I don't think he knows. That's neat. He, I guess he put out a, I don't know. I mean, I don't know him at all, you know, but uh, I don't either. Read, I forget where I read. Um, maybe it was on like moderndrummer.com or something Yeah, that he was that he was like, I, you know, I don't know what happened. Just they they released a statement saying that it was amicable, but he said that it wasn't and he didn't know anything about it. And he was kind of as confused as everyone else was. A lot of people use the amicable thing to keep the public uh happy as they can get be because there's going to be up right. and i'm not talking about that band i have no, no no news on that no anyone but uh that a lot of times will be like oh they, they both wanted it it's like uh oh right well i guess you know i'm sure that there's a bunch of fans from slipknot that are joey fans you know well the guys are like oh he was mean they were mean to joey so i'm not going to be a slipknot fan anymore you know or that goes for any band, it's just not just for Slipknot. But I'm sure that that's why they're always like, well, you know, it it was we wanted to pursue other interests. Well, that band is I've seen them live in Nashville, and uh, I enjoyed it. And that band is one of the bands like that is a product, as you know, as you agree. I mean, to go yeah. in and no disrespect to uh, anyone that likes the sound of them, but like truly, probably one of the few guys that can sell white painted, you know, 
symbols as a thing and, and like hotcakes. I mean, right. the guy was a brand. So, and is a brand. So that's pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm shocked to hear it's too bad. I hope he, uh, uh, I'm sure he's fine monetarily, but I hope he does, uh, what he wants to do. And I just, I, I can just say this and I, um, you know, I know a lot of friends that have been let go from major, major things. And it is devastating for that person because yeah. that's what they lived for. That was their, like, if you have a band like Slipknot, it's not like you're going to go, no offense to Joey, he might, but I don't see him stepping right into an R&B jazz wedding gig. And I'm not saying he right, needs, right. needs that. So no one please get mad at me. I'm just saying, I don't know what his well-roundedness is as a drummer, as a just a drummer mm-hmm. drummer. So, uh, I'm sure it's hard too. I'm, you know, if you're in a band for that long that you've really, it's like, if you take, if you take Neil Peart out of rush, you know, like he, he defines the sound of rush. So if you put him in another band, it's just going to sound like the drummer from rush playing in, you know, like, and no, and it's no disrespect to Neil either. I I think he's amazing. I'm not, you know, I don't think that anybody out there thinks that I'm saying anything negatively, but you know, if you, He's or like Carter Beaufort, you know, like they, these guys have such unique sounds that they they've made the band sound the way that they are. So it's like taking them out and putting them into something else. You know, like Mid- the Dave Matthews yeah. band wouldn't be that you put me if you take Carter Beaufort out and put me in to play drums, the band is going to sound completely different. I definitely understand. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's important because it's not just you and me speaking. It's you know hopefully some some folks listening and and I'll say that very important. I started playing, uh, you know, just real quick drums because of Neil, but I know what you're saying. And it's important to say like, like the two people we've mentioned, uh, Joey and Neil, I have no idea, but I know that hopefully financially, if Joey could do whatever he wants to creatively, I think he's a great drummer. I think Neil's a great drummer. Same thing. They probably don't need the gig. I guess Mm -hmm. that's where I think the important thing though is, um, on well-roundedness, like just monster players. Like for example, this is not, this is just my opinion. Carter is a freaking freak drummer, like meaning just all right. around, all around. I know for a fact he played in Virginia in like fusion bands and he knows what we, he knows what's going mm-hmm. on. And, uh, that's where I guess all I say is nothing against anyone or that I'm right about anything, but the whole trying to be well-rounded so that if you do find yourself in a situation where you have a gig, you can put yourself out there in many different gig styles. That's, I guess, kind right. of a, a good point you know and i i think that for i know that it would be easy for me to do this that if i was in say i was in the dave matthews band for 25 years yeah you know and i had my heart and soul i would be like you know if somebody says what kind of music do you play i would say i play dave matthews band music because and that's what i've been working on for the last 25 years i like i probably wouldn't be shedding all this other stuff so then if they fired me i'd be like oh Shit, oh, no, there's no doubt. There's no doubt what you just said. You know. uh, there's, it's just such a good point. I have uh, some friends that are in successful bands that recently text me and say, well, do you have any ideas for fills? I'm feeling really stale. So that, that, you know, it's not like it's, I'm some chief of all fills, but it's a friend of mine. And so I'm like, yeah, here's some ideas. Right. Of course it gets. If you, if you are gigging every night in Vegas in a cover band, you're probably not going home to shed from uh, you know noon to five when your next Vegas gig is. You're probably going to go nail the, the show in Vegas and be like, right. I'm going to watch TV or have a have life outside of drums. At least most people would, you know? Mm-hmm. So, 
it's, and especially uh, if you're making a ton of money and you've been in the band for years, it's like, you know, it's it outside of artistic integrity or artistic uh, growth. You know, there's really not much of an incentive to really like go shed for five hours a day. You're like, man, I make, you know, I make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. I, I, you know, I'm gigging all the time. So what's, what's the point kind of. And, and I think that you and I would find that point, but you're right that sometimes yeah. that, that it gets easy to be comfortable. And also you get burnt uh, no matter who you are. If you're gigging 250 dates or 75 dates, 50 dates, it can get to where you're like, you know what, when my time is off, it's off. Uh, you know, I'm going to, like, I have a family. I'm going to do stuff at home myself. I'm like, I'm going to go fishing. And like, it doesn't mean, but you're also correct on the drummer furthering my drumming skills or music skills. I still work on stuff. And sometimes I have to keep myself from going, why am I working on this? Because there are some things that I work on drumming wise. I'm like, I don't think I'm going to use this in any of the gigs I'm doing, but I love it. So there's that, there's those two sides, the gigging and performance, do what you're supposed to do side. And then the, uh, you know, solo practicing and like, drummers drumming practicing and stuff like that um you know and then there's the playing the stuff you already know how to play and just having fun like going down your basement or wherever you practice and just be like i'm gonna flail the same licks i've done for years and it's kind of a release you know but uh and that's just i know i'm sure that you probably sorry i just cut you off Mm -hmm. Mm a little coffee there no problem you did not cut me off Um, i'm sure that you probably feel the same way too I feel like the longer I'm on the road, the worse my playing gets. <laughs> like, I, I mean, the the better my playing gets in that band for the tunes that I'm playing, but yep. like all the other stuff kind of goes out the window. So it's like, you know, you start playing 200 dates a year and then you have this going on, you have that going on. And, you know, there's no there's no time to shed or, or challenge yourself at all. It's an interesting thing when my band Biodiesel, which is like a techno-y duo, I noticed that I noticed that my upbringing stuff went away uh, a little bit, but uh, it made me bummed out. Like I grew up with like like your record. I love your record, by the way, and that's real. Uh, oh, back, thank you, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you're totally welcome. It's true. That uh, so check out Nick's record, everybody. It's killer. That type of uh, funk, jazzy funk. That's what I grew up doing. Uh, you know, with trios and and stuff like that, and um, organ players, upright bass, and, you know, acid, jazzy, whatever. And so some of those more natural, funky feels, James Brownish meets uh, whatever, just, you know, groove stuff, open, you know, nice, jazzy, funky kit, that stuff kind of went out the window a little bit because I was playing house and drum and bass, which was on purpose so electronic. And mm-hmm. even though even though people are like, dude, this neat that you're doing it live, I noticed that before Collective Soul, I was doing, like, a lot of dates with Biodiesel, and it was... I love electronic of it, man. My, I've so almost over trained myself to not overplay in that band, and uh, right. it just went, you know, straight to it's neat. Play house groove, I think, like really well. Play drum and bass stuff, really cool. But I noticed that I was like, oh my god, my it felt weird to go back and be like Garibaldi style or you know, Clyde or whatever. And so I've been going back and playing my little vintage premiere kit. Uh, nice. And you know what I mean, having fun with the old funk. So I get what you mean about that a gig, you know, can can make you get stuck in that gig. Like sure. good you know, good at the music or good at the show, but maybe you're like, Oops, my hands are gone or like, man, the groove mm-hmm. feel I used to do at like age twenty five was better at twenty five than it is at forty one. Weird. Right. Yeah. So it's it's like whatever you're 
you know, whatever you're concentrating on. And if you don't use it, you lose it kind of thing. Totally right. Totally right. Yeah. So you were saying, just touching on the, uh, on the electronic stuff. And I know that for me, whenever I thought about if I would ever think about like when the Roland V drums came out and all that, anytime I would think of Roland V drums, I would think of you. It just like, you were like the poster child for, for the V drums. And really, um, for me, you really exposed me to a lot of like acoustic electronic music, if that makes any sense. Cause you were doing that stuff live with, with different, uh, you know, different symbols and, and different effects and stuff like that. And sorry, this is kind of a, around the barn, uh, question, but so from the time that you started playing, um, and then working your way up to that point to where you're doing these rolling clinics and, and you're doing clinics at PASIC and, and drum, you know, all these different drum conferences and stuff like that. How did you bridge that gap going from, you know, a young kid playing to high school to getting into that more mainstream, uh, professional side of things because i think there's a lot of people out there now that are thinking okay i'm a drummer i'm in high school or i'm you know in college or i'm getting out of college and i really want to do that type of thing i want to do clinics i want to you know i want to get connected with with some companies and get behind some products that i believe in and really tour and 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 do you know different conferences and stuff like that how would you suggest that people start that process or how did you get there too I'll do a quick, quick one on how I did, but um, it's different today than it was then, and then it was also different, how can I say it, when I was, I think it was even more happening, like with the Vinnies and the, I don't know, I did the, the birth of clinics and all that really started, you know, 80s, 80, you know, 85, I remember like one of my first clinics was, was Jerry Brown and then like Kenny Aronoff, and they were having in-store clinics, it was like a real, like attended thing, um, so the way I got into it was I was like, I better offer something different than just, you know, so many people already have like rad videos out in those days. It was like the VHS days. Um, and I'm not kidding. If those of you that don't know what I mean, DCI used to have the first, you know, VHS uh, video cassette out. That would be, you'd go buy that. There's no YouTube or anything like that. You'd go uh, buy <laughs> Smith. I remember that. Yeah. You'd buy Greg Bissonnet, you'd buy Rod Morgan, you'd buy Omar Kim, and you'd get psyched about even what the cover looked like because you're like, dude, that kid is killer. So yep. last year, College of Berkeley was 1995, and then uh, I had a year in Sacramento where I grew up, and I had my uh, I bought a Pearl kit, the Master's Custom, and it's proof that advertising works in magazines because I bought a wine red one just like Omar's, and before that I had the sheer blue one BLX, just like Omar's again. <laughs> and uh, loved it. I was trying to like kind of be like these dudes and absorb whatever. Uh, and then I started messing with Freehand um, in 96. And my first clinic was in Modesto, uh, Manteca, California, excuse me, at this new... Just, uh, I got I to gotta stop yeah. you real quick. You, were, you, were, you mentioned the Freehand, and there may be some people out there that don't know what that is. Can you just explain that? really quick and then we'll we'll go on yeah during the time in 1995 i started going i'm going to try to learn anything i can from these vhs type tapes and i saw kenwood denard um just advance was the name of the videotape and it was a, a killer video he, he really inspired me to uh take and think of any ideas you can outside the box like just anything you want to groove fills chops like you know play the rod of the hi-hat stand the guy is amazing right so 
then he does this like crazy one hand roll that apparently he got from a, uh, inspired by a student of his that accidentally did it on accident. He goes, wait, what was that? I, I believe I'm saying this correctly. And, uh, I thought it was awesome because it was like a long roll uh, with like, you know, with one hand while he was playing a cymbal roll with one hand. And then it was my goal to take uh, that inspiration and develop to where you can control any rhythm um, mm-hmm. with one hand while the other hand was doing an ostinato or I was like, that'd be cool. So all of like 96 at home, I was like last year college in 96 at home, I was getting that thing kind of, underneath under my hands and like trying to write a book about it and write literally like I wanted it to become another rudiment, like a paradiddle. I wanted, you know, by this time now, I guess at 41 it to be people go, yep, I know that. And we've seen it go a lot of places and it's great. Um, there's a lot of controversy about it. So, but that was my first kind of thing to be a little different. So I did a free clinic, you know, basing my stuff off drum and bass, which was kind of new. Um, and I was working on a book then in, in 96, like getting my notes together. And uh, I just, that's what got me into the clinics. It was like first a couple free ones. And then uh, I moved to Nashville and really, you know, had a, had the total restaurant job. And um, I didn't enjoy it, but it was a necessary thing. So mm-hmm. during the day times I would work at Red Lobster and it sucked. Uh, but hey, I did that. I bartended, served there. And even like went on gigs and, you know, went off the road, went back to Red Lobster because it wasn't like the country gigs were paying that much. And this was in 90, uh, this was in 96 when I moved to Nashville. And then, uh, I met Boo McAfee, who's like the creator of the drumometer and all that. And, uh, at that time I was using my tip money to go create drumsticks. And I created the, that rhythm saw stick, which is, has, serrated uh you know teeth we call them in it and right you know that's a long long story about the stick company which we can we can do it another time but like basically that kind of invention of that stick plus the freehand and plus boo like i opened up for simon phillips at you know one of my first clinics at uh the national percussion institute yeah it was great and then that's when Mylon saw me open for simon and that was norbert salmon at the time and he's like really, you know, enjoyed your playing. And then we talked and that's all that sprung into the same focus of, uh, the stick company got off the ground from a whole nother long story, but that was the stick company was a very big springboard for clinics because, um, when the stick company started happening, I was demonstrating as my own clinician for my own company all over the United States and basically world, uh, not making a bunch of income from it because I was basically doing it to try to sell the sticks. Sure. Uh, so that was my which were, angle. Which were great. I've already, I've already professed my love for the, for oh, the Johnny Rab sticks. They were, they were. I was sad to see him go. Well, I appreciate so. it, I, and I understand uh, you're working with uh, uh, Bolso as well, which is awesome. But I'm trying to get mine back, and uh, I still have the rhythm saw patent. And those nice. of you that want to check out the rhythm saw, like meaning it's not quite ready to sell, but just on Johnny Rob drumsticks, there's like a demonstration video from like Italy or something um, that shows this, what the stick can do. And, um, and I'll be sure to put that in the show notes too, so people can check it out. Yeah, sweet. So I mean, I yeah, I basically, you know, then DW came along and uh, they had me. They were very nice and you know endorsed me, sponsored because I was basically going advertising 
why not have, you know, their drums along? I was in a truck that it said, John, they're a drum 60W, um, different companies at the time on my own going around the United States to stores doing free clinics. So, uh, you know, people, you know, I think DW saw the value and he's going to our dealers with our kit. Why not allow him to play our kits? And, you know, and then it just went from there. Montreal drum fest was the first, you know, and Meinl was a huge reason that stuff took off. Uh, they let me, uh, they listened to me on developing some, uh, at the time, electronic symbols. And I will just say, for those of you that are maybe like 12 years old or like even 20 at this point, at that time, I was 20, 23 or so. So I think you know what I'm saying. Some people that might be listening might be like, yeah, dubstep. And, and I get it. I, I really, you know, I do. But at the time, there wasn't this a lot of stuff going on live. There was not. Right. Now there's a bunch of duos and a bunch of people playing it live. And I'm totally psyched. It's cool. But at the beginning, there was only a handful of dudes doing live electronica, drawing bass. So there's a few of us that got. To I develop. totally remember, man. It was it was you, uh, Marco Miniman, who you introduced me to, oh. and and uh, who was the who was the third that you? Well, there's Zach Danziger, JoJo Mayer yeah. that was doing doing stuff. We all had symbols like we were working on and things like that. Um, Tony Verderosa out of New York, who now I think does a lot of commercial music or like mm-hmm. jingles and stuff, but he was ahead of his time. Like he was at Berkeley doing clinics on his stuff when I was still there. And I'm like, Whoa. And, uh, yeah, I haven't spoken to him in a long time, but those guys were kind of, and then Dirk Brand in Germany on his own, like almost disconnected from us because at the time. I think you get it. It wasn't as easy just to be like internet, even though it was working. YouTube didn't happen that long ago. So no. uploading, no. A, uploading a video. I think we talked about this yesterday, uploading a video didn't, it wasn't just like upload now. Okay. Oh my God, it's taking five minutes more like upload video. It's taking a day and yeah. good luck watching it in entirety. So, uh, <laughs> Remember the little spinning wheel would say buffering. Oh yeah. Not only buffering, like just forget it. Right. It's like, especially interrupting, a drum beat or music you're just like that's i'm right. done i'm finished and not only that i mean now it's can you you know years ago it's like can you imagine watching it on a phone and works perfectly you know still blows my mind and sometimes i forget i have that opportunity at the airport i catch up on a lot of killer youtube drumming that way but you know just real quick back to the clinic side i on purpose made it a goal i agree you know one important thing that i forgot to mention is that i made my own first vhs video of the freehand and of mm-hmm. hip house groove, which I mean, I made a title up because it had hip right. hop house and acid jazz grooves for the acoustic drum set. And I'm going to release that video. And I look like Bob Saget. It's hysterical. I'm wearing a, uh, <laughs> like a freaking denim style shirt. It look like, it's, it's bad. My hair, it just, it's Bob Saget, but, uh, nothing against Bob at all, but, uh, right. I'm very young. I think I'm 20, at 22 um, but I'm gonna put that awesome. up for download on my little my uh, site at some point and the point of it is though I missed out on the transfer between VHS and DVD um, that came to haunt me as you know we've spoken about that personally later mm-hmm. uh, YouTube uh, is a neat thing but YouTube damaged YouTube has absolutely damaged uh, some of my what I would say is my intellectual property um, right. what I wanted to share with people, but unfortunately others use YouTube, watched YouTube 
took my ideas, took my content, refilmed it, put it out in DVD form. Um, and, and called it something else. Capitalized on it, yeah. It just, uh, so that was a drag. And, you know, younger generation that grew up with when they're four or five and their mom or dad going, let's watch this video, Bobby, and it's going to be YouTube. It's not going to be plug in a DVD or a VHS. But if you're like me, you're like, it's hard to make that transition. You don't just go, DVDs are going to be it. I better move now. I better, you know, save up the money to make DVDs. You, you don't. You, you just stay new. Like, I have a cassette tape still for Nashville drumming demo. Cassette tape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, nice. you get my point. But that's how clinics yeah. went. You know, that's how they went. And um, I'm not trying to be like I did them, but I did them. I, I walked around and met people and uh, let my drumming do the meeting and sending Hip House Groove VHS into Modern Drummer got a review. So pumped when that thing came back, like four out of five stars or four and a half out of something cool. I was like, that's awesome. Nice. Nice. Uh, and I don't want to like leave this guy out of the mix, Mike Tirana. Uh, the metal drummer and great drummers all around. Um, he doesn't, he knows this. I told him we were, we were at a, a, a bar in Germany. We did a festival together with both minor players. And uh, he, without saying any words to me, it's, uh, inspired me to make my own tape, my, my first instructional video, because really? I saw, yeah, I saw him at NAM in, in Anaheim. I was still in Sacramento. I drove my car, my parents' car up to Anaheim to go to NAM to kind of network or try to, and he was at the attack drum head booth. And uh, I saw him and listened to him. He, he gave the guy, here's my new DVD. Uh, sorry, here's my new VHS tape, double bass drumming. Um, and it's got your drum heads in it, man. Thanks for the support. And I immediately went, wow. And because of him, I contacted attack at the time and got a cost deal. And put, you know, and you guys that are listening, you'll see it. If you watch that, you know, check out the download. Um, it's all attack heads and and I thought it was very important to have like, you know, one endorsement and all that and, and, and you know, I learned differently later. But it was cool. Mike was the reason. When he did that on his own, he goes, Here's a, and I heard him, here's a video here's a video I made on my own. And I, I got to tell him that like I'm like, dude, you have no idea. You're the reason that I learned to get something out there. He's like, You kidding me, you know, and he's just a great dude. <laughs> but uh nice. that was that and then uh then that all got integrated into the stick company and quite honestly, the stick company took off over about a three, four year period. And then that was the focus, you know, I was gigging still, but that, that was my, like, I came up with a line of sticks and I was in charge of making the drawings and designs. And I worked with, don't get me wrong. There was a great guy named Mike Duncan, um, who was our artist in graphic design and did all of our internet stuff, but he was also doing all the CAD drawings. So I would work with Mike and he would do all the like fine tuning, like what the machine would make and the blades that made the stick. So, but it was neat. I got to design stuff. And to this day, I can say that some of the bigger companies definitely followed suit on some of the things we did. And it's interesting, you know, we're, we're the, the original Johnny Rad company's not in business, but it was fascinating during that time to see and even receive stuff in the mail going, we're doing this now too from like big companies. And I was like, wow, oh my God. Whoa. So well, that, didn't you develop, hey. did you develop another, the, the drumsticks with, uh, with DW? No. And that opens up volume two, or like I was telling you yesterday, I'll be 
trying to write a, uh, I'm doing an audio kind of book and uh, just kind of my version of what not to do and what to do in the business, which mm-hmm. also some people can check out. Uh, and that whole story will be in uh, in that. And it's really too long of one, but I'll say in a nutshell, no. Uh, DW purchased Johnny Rob Drumsticks from my partner, uh, Gerald Hooper. Um, uh, it's not what I wanted to have happen. Uh, I did uh, not okay. want that. So my partner wanted it to be sold and, you know, lesson learned everybody. Um, you know, I thought I owned a big percentage, 48% sounds big, but 52 basically means that that guy can vote me Controlling out. Controlling interest. Yeah. So he controlled interest, even though I was the one that called DW and said, do you want to do this? Oh no, we're not interested. I went overseas to, uh, France to try to, uh, excuse me, Italy on my own dime to try to save a distributor. Uh, and, uh, I basically was lied to by my own partner. Um, sticks were never shipped and he just kind of checked out, I guess. And, um, you know, to this day, very bitter still about it. Um, like DW, um, as, as, you know, fine personally, like I'd have go say hi to Don or Chris or whatever, but not happy with them, with the business that they did. Uh, they, bought it and that was three drumsticks our machines our designs um although i'll just try to be cool about it and say that the finishes and the fine details were not what we used to do so uh that was three drumsticks they renamed it um apparently they moved all the machinery down from tennessee to uh ensenada and uh i don't know what they're doing now i've heard that they don't do them anymore Uh, i don't think that they do now I begged and pleaded for them to keep it Johnny Rab sticks, not because of I thought it was so neat, but we had about 100 over 100 artists that were a big deal, and mm-hmm. we uh, I took pride in all the things we've accomplished, and I, I really pleaded for them to keep it and try to keep me involved um, and just keep it that way, even as a small percentage person that did. It, it, and I get it, uh, they didn't want to, um, but they, yeah, that was the most disappointing business I've ever seen uh, in, in my life. I, I was really hoping to uh, uh, continue this. Like I, I'd rather be talking to you now, uh, not saying a lesson learned, um, but it's right. funny. It's funny how some people don't look at that as a bad thing. I look at it as a, a bad thing. And uh, uh, I will say on the record though, that DW was extremely supportive during the time that I uh, played the drums and they're a huge company, and I respect uh, uh, what they do, and I like their um, – they've really done some innovative, as we all know, hardware drums, and uh, and I will say they've done nothing but support me when I was with them. I ended up stepping down or whatever you want to call it uh, maybe in um, 2010. Uh, after, after all that went down? Uh, after I saw at a clinic I was doing, um, I'd wanted to buy back whatever stock that had my name on it to try to like revive my thing. And I was told no. And then, uh, I saw this older gentleman that must've owned a music store, um, have just tons and tons of pairs and I'm at a clinic for them. And, uh, the bottom line is, uh, the guy walks up and goes, Hey, are you Johnny? I said, yeah. He goes, I got a, I got, you know, sticks. I got a free pair of rhythm sauce for everyone that comes to this door. And I'm 250 
300 people coming to the thing for a, as a festival. And I'm sitting there going, I just had, you know, just had got the patent back from DW. They let me buy it back from them for the rhythm saw. And sure enough, they sold this guy for super duper cheap, all the stock that I'd been wanting to buy. And basically it made it to where my market value was just like nothing. And it, it made me realize the guy had, you know, and then of course I go downstairs and it says, blow out Johnny Rab drumsticks, dollar a pair. And I was like, wow, that makes it to where it looks like I'm completely out of business. Like meaning I can't even, right. so that was, that was the final one. I bit my, bit my tongue for about three years after the sale. And then that was the final, final one that I was like, I feel totally incorrect when somebody goes, what happened to the stick company? Cause it happened, that question happened at every clinic. What happened to the stick company? Right. You know, and it used to be, Oh, DW bought it. It's all cool. So, that answer started, I, I was lying to people. <laughs> right. Right. So I don't know. I can know. see it too. You're probably like, man, I don't, you know, how many times can you tell the same story too? You know, it's like, I don't want to get into it. A little bit. And I think it's important. I don't know what, you know, I'm not dissing DW. Uh, they're doing business, but I am disappointed and still am and always will be that that happened because now they're not even doing, you know, it's, they're done with the stuff. And uh, right. I really believe that, it could could have kept being a really cool thing, but it's okay. Onward and upward with the new company that my wife and I are doing, and we'll get there. We'll get back to the values that we had. Yeah, man. Definitely. Yeah. So, so you've had. I was just thinking about all the the stuff that you've done. So you were working you were working with uh with the Roland V drums, and then you were doing some stuff with uh with Minel, and then do you do you still have the cymbals through Minel? Absolutely. Yeah. The, the okay. Generation X. Generation X, right? Yeah. They, uh, Norbert Sam and I got to design those early on and it was kind of cool because, uh, now there's a lot of artists with the, uh, great symbols out signature stuff. But I think me and at the time, Marco Miniman and Thomas Lang were the first three. And we got to do a big tour off that, the Generation X tour, um, near like 2000 or something like that. And, uh, maybe a little later, but it's really, really cool. And uh, I'm actually hoping to release some footage that I took on my own camera of like me, Thomas, and Marco really young. Uh, I've got a lot of hours, but uh, it, of course it matters if Marco and Thomas were like that released. But uh, it, it was such a great time. And yeah, I sold the symbols out, the, the drumble, the safari hi-hats, and then the uh, safari crash and ride. And uh, a lot of people are like, oh, they sound horrible. It's like they are four effects and they are for creating like a drum and bass dry ride um right. and very electronic sounding but acoustic so you can play when you play live it it it, it gives the kit the sound like a sample drum set or a drum machine vibe. Sure. yeah so so without getting into the you know the nuts and bolts of it how does something like that work if you develop a you know, if if you develop a symbol with Minel, or if you have a signature drumstick through, you know, like the a Vic Firth, you know, Johnny Rab signature, um, how does that work for the artists? Do they get paid on units, or do they get a flat rate, or do they uh, work out some other deal? So, well, most companies, uh, you know, if you get to that point, um, we'll do a percentage depending on whatever, and you know, I. I, you know, I had sticks with Promark after the stick company. They were very, very supportive and had a signature with them, with them. But if you think about 
you really got to look at the at the a signature sticker to get to do it as kind of a cool thing. It's kind of your calling card. It's kind of your you know you you know you, you're lucky to be in a catalog, or I felt lucky. And right. um, Promark was the first people to contact me, even though we were like number one competitors with the one I had the stick company. And say, right. hey, can well, you uh, and I don't think there's anybody out there that doesn't you know want a signature stick. So sure, sure. Um, <laughs> it's not a, it's not a monetary maker unless you're Weckle or. Uh, Vinny or, or Dad, the first guys that had signature sticks, I think those are right. staples in the industry. I mean, I am happy to say that, you know, they definitely, if you sell a certain uh, amount, of course, you, every quarter or every half year, you get your your monies. But, you know, some people don't, there's a catch-22 with signature, signature sticks. Some people don't want to play a stick with my name on it. They're like, I want my own or I want a 5B. I don't, you know, why don't I want to, some people might like my playing and go, I want a Johnny Rabbit stick, but some people are going, I hate that dude. I don't want that stick. So, you know, there's different things, but yeah, usually a percentage, um, relatively small, like 10, 15, maybe 5%. Uh, there's no, I don't want to put anyone on the spot because, but that's generally the case. Um, you know, and then uh, it just depends. These days it just seems very, uh, slimmer uh, opportunities for that type of, you know, you can't just call and I want to develop something. I mean, I remember the stuff with mine. Well, everybody's tightening, tightening up their belts. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, what were you saying about Minel though? You remember? Just, I just remember like, I've had those ideas before I worked with Minel. I was like working, you know, putting regular symbols that I owned together and like trying to like, right. so I had been working on it and, uh, you know, Luckily, Norbert saw the vision and we did it, but there's also been other ideas that I've shared, which is totally fair to say, that have not been made by Minel. I don't get upset about it. I just kind of go, okay, no problem. I get it. Not right now. There's uh, right. other artists, other players, and they have their own ideas too. You have to keep that in mind. It's uh, unfortunate to have a box set of symbols that sounded the way that I wanted them to sound and the drumble. You know, the drumble's such a neat little very very uh, affordable little thing that can transform your snares and stuff into i love it i can a lot of times like that's what i my my kind of idea is try to get sounds that somebody else does not already have so somebody goes oh yeah that's like so-and-so and you and i both know we talked about this yesterday somebody will play freehand or blast beat and go you know on my own youtube they'll go dude you're ripping off so-and-so that's like blast beat i'm like that's cool. Right. No problem. And then, uh, you're like, you're like I invented that. I don't know if you knew that or not. <laughs> or, you know, or just, I just try to chill out about it. And then, and, and you and I spoke about this and it's, it's, it's the same thing with the drum and bass playing or the drum bowl. It's like, you know, like here's Johnny Rod doing a drum and bass thing. Jojo all the way. It's like, dude, I'm friends with Jojo and love this playing. And I agree Jojo all the way. So like, what, what are we doing? It's kind of like, right. You're not saying don't listen to Jojo Mayer, listen to me. Or I just wouldn't go on to somebody else's. You know, I know we're on a different topic, but uh, I'll just say that that stuff blows my mind. But I'm just saying I looked to try to do, and a lot of times it worked, the rhythm saw, a book on drum and bass, a book on the freehand, stuff that wasn't like a book on rock drumming, a book on jazz swing with different ostinatos. They're already out Mm -hmm. there. And there's already, you can't deny the great books. So um, I didn't think that that market would be somewhere for me. And my interest was like, how can I get different sounds on a drum? So that was the rhythm saw, the drumble, different size snares, like eight, 10, and 12 little side snares we had with the old company. And now I've got 
the new UFO snares coming out uh, through mm-hmm. my company and WACT, uh, WAC, apostrophe D. And those are coming out excited, a single-headed snare. And, uh, you know, um, I guess just trying to, like, completely innovate and not just only play drums, but try to get involved in the industry. Right. Um, uh, and that's been kind of a downfall. You know, it's been, you know, quite interesting. Mm-hmm. And I was, to your point, I was talking to uh, to a guy, Dylan Wissing, yesterday. He's a he's a drummer here in Hoboken. He, um, he won a Grammy Award last year, and he was on the Alicia Keys record this year and the latest Kanye West yeah. record. And he does, he has a drum room and I don't know if you do you know, I don't know if you know Dylan or not. You, to be honest, you and I spoke about him, you know, by the way, everyone, Nick and I talked yesterday, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we spoke about him yesterday. So you were telling me about him. That's awesome. Yeah. So he was, um, so where was I going? Oh, so we were talking about it yesterday about how there's, you know, years ago when Hal Blaine was cutting records, you know, he was a millionaire and, had a yacht and a Rolls Royce and and all this stuff in those days of just playing sessions and gigs are gone because people were playing three gigs a day and you know cutting five sessions a day and they were making a ton of money and now you have to diversify yourself and you have to be more entrepreneurial and you have to think of different revenue streams that you can that you, you can have to to really make it in this business and that was the real vision for Drummer's Resource because like you said, there's so many different places out there that you can go to figure out how to play swing or how to play paradiddles or, you know, all this other stuff. So I wanted to go the other way to show people, you know, how to be an entrepreneur, how to market yourself, how to brand yourself, how to, you know, get in contact with companies, how to get endorsements and, you know, different things to, to help you to look at the other side of the, of just the play rather than just the playing, but more of the, the business side of it. And, because I think that it's important for people to learn how they can actually make a living doing this if they love doing it and they're willing to put the effort in. You know, that's correct. And I'll just say that just so everyone knows, um, I have a list of stuff that I keep and, uh, I'm not that organized at all. I'm working on it, working on time management. I need that a lot. Um, basically I'll just say I fish, I do go fishing a lot. And I'll use the analogy. I have like 10 fishing lines in the water right now with bait on them. I have no idea. I have no idea if any fish are going to bite or if there's going to be all 10 go down at once right now. I've got, you know, my, I look at it as uh, one of the, you know, fishing poles has collect a soul. Like that's one fish that, in other words, that rod is kind of out of the water. I have a gig. It could end tomorrow. I don't want it to end tomorrow. It could. I have, I have that right now. I'm very thankful if that continues. Great. Then there's the teaching side. Uh, Skype lessons, they happen, but a lot of times I don't get repeat students because they want to learn one one or a couple things. They go, oh, it's cool. He taught me the freehand. I'm out of here. That's cool. Right. Uh, I've thought about opening a, a, a brick-and-mortar um, pro drum school uh, and just doing that in, in Indy and having it be anybody public, not just advanced players, but anybody. That's on hold because that costs renting a space. And also I'm on the road too much. So what do you do? You just you, So I'm just trying to tell people ideas what they can do, like you're saying. Then I have uh, ca- video cameras like uh, Zoom HD, a couple cams, and one GoPro. Um, I'm filming my own stuff, editing um, on right now, believe it or not, iMovie, but we'll be doing Final Cut very soon and using Logic for my audio. So mm-hmm. I'm engineering myself. I'm editing myself. I'm, uh, I've done a couple things 
like what you're doing, Nick, a couple interviews uh, of people audio wise. Um, so the drumstick, it's, it's, and it's, it really is more than 10 things in the water. And, and, and sometimes yeah. that gets a little hectic, as you know, because, you know, they've mm-hmm. got the rhythm saw, just bought that patent. That was money I don't really have, but had to do it to protect it. Got manufacturing kind of working on that's going to take some time and more money. My buddies down in Florida at Whack Drums, uh, developing the UFOs and their own drums with they have their own company called Whack Drums. So the drum line, the sticks, then, you know, of course, wanting to do live seminars. And I know that, again, we're going to work together on some stuff, but live seminars, uh, online, you know, my own just little like lessons when I can do them. And, uh, you know, also studio tracking for people. I have a friend named Shane, Shane Adams in Nashville. I stu- still do sessions in Nashville and with him over, over the net. Um, you know, so there's always these weird things. Like I'm also doing program beats that are pre-done beats and stuff. Everyone's doing this. So don't think it's anything new that I'm saying, but you're correct in that. It's like, what can I do? And it's like, I'm even reaching out to app makers right now. Cause I have a bunch of public apps that are like kids apps non-musical uh but at the same time a couple apps that i think would be really cool for us as drummers but it's just a matter of that costs money so i have to find like partners and you and i talked about this yesterday i know everyone you're not missing out but bottom line is i've been burned so many times that it's it's hard not to get negative um and, and believe me sometimes i'm to the point where i'm like i'm not doing this anymore this is i will go just you know work at max door get my you know, go teach people how to use Logic or, you know, get my certification in, in, uh, in Final Cut Pro and, you know, have to, and then use that for my own fun and drum as a hobby. I'll never quit drumming, but uh, one of these things hopefully will stick. And, and don't get me wrong, Collective Soul is fantastic. They're very cool to me. But it's not every day all year long. It's touring. Right. And then when, when you're off the road, you're not, I'm not getting, you know, paid by them just to sit at home. So, Right, you have right. to look at the other ways, and then of course the publishing, um, self-publishing now because even though I really respect that I had publishing and distribution through great companies, I almost can't afford to do that anymore. I'm I'm right. uh, not being greedy, but I'd rather uh, have if somebody's going to buy it, I'd rather have. I think that's an antiquated system anyway. Yeah, it's just it, it, yeah, it made and... sense. It made sense back when I was doing it, and. Uh, it still makes sense to get inside of, you know, drum dealers uh, and things like that. But if you can use that money towards marketing on the web, you can get people to understand that you can come direct to me. And I think the king of that for a while was Mangini. He had his whole system. He, I think recently he did his The Grid or something like that with Hudson, mm-hmm. I think. My, I don't want to miscommunicate which companies with, but I, I got a lot, of, a lot of respect from Mike because uh, he supported me a long time ago with Freehand. Cause he also was messing with it and we had dinner and he's like, yeah, that is what I'm doing. I'm like, that's awesome. I just wanted to get with you before I put this VHS tape out to make sure you weren't like, dude, what happened? You, you know, right. I never, somebody had rumored that he was doing the same thing. He, he was, we were both working along the same line. And, uh, I guess the point about publishing is it's just, it's awesome, but it's way different now as we all know, with Kindles and, you know, iPhone, iPad, da, 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 da. So that whole thing right there, if you still follow me at all, sums up, I've got a lot of ideas and you should have a lot of ideas. Um, I'm even trying to start, you know, hardware and small drum company, you know, for affordable stuff like pedals mm-hmm. and, and all this stuff. And it's like, 
it's interesting. It's, uh, you know, it's a tough thing. And finally, my wife and I started MinalSelect.com, which is basically, it's, it's, you know, I hope people check it out, but it's hard to get people, even if you have a website up, it doesn't mean people are going to come there. So uh, the right. idea, the idea with that is we have, I went to Nashville, hand-selected out, best of the best, like this crash, this whatever, 40 symbols, and then did videos for all of them and, you know, audio clips for all of them. And then you get that, you know, I even look crazy because I don't wear gloves when I play, but wore gloves to make sure they don't get a grease on them or whatever. And uh, then they get shipped to your house. And to be honest, that's that's not moving as fast as, as I would like, but trying many different facets to get people, you know, to make, make a living. Mm-hmm. And to echo your point that everyone is doing it. So even, you know, you look at guys, I mean, unless it's, unless it's somebody that is part of the band, like, you know, somebody like Carter Beaufort, just for example, because we were talking about him earlier or Neil Peart or somebody like that, but hired guns that are playing for huge, huge stars. They're still branching out and playing 15 different gigs and they have, 18 different, you know, lines in the water to use your analogy. So it's not just, you know, guys that are at a, a lower level. It's, I mean, everybody's doing it. Everybody is, you know, all the, and really, really well-known drummers that are playing with huge acts are doing other things to re- generate income. And they're also, you know, having online, uh, starting online lessons and Skype Absolutely. lessons and, and all that stuff. So it's not just, it's just it's it's the way of the uh, the world now in the music industry. That's just how it is now. Well, it's like anything else. There's a small percentage of people that I know. Abel Boreal with Paul McCartney. We both went to Berkeley at the same time. The guy was a freaking ridiculous player at Berkeley. It's the best one there, period. And uh, right, everyone loved him. And you had John Roberts. He was one of the best there as well. And you know some of the guys get to work for them. Nate Morton. Him and I were very like I don't say the word competitive, but maybe that's the word. What happens at college? He's on The Voice. He did Rockstar in Excess. He's killing it. He's killing it. I still right. talk to him from time to time. Uh, you know, and then uh, Jeff Marino and I went to Berkeley together. He's with uh, Darius Rucker, and he's done a whole bunch of Nashville stuff. And um, Everyone takes different paths, but the, the small percentage of, of those guys are doing it to where they don't have to do anything else. Very small. Probably Abe right. with Paul. I don't think he has to do much else. I think that's a pretty... Yeah, I'm sure that he's on a retainer and Yeah, everything. cream of the crop thing. Um, you know, but uh, Nick, you're going to kill me and folks, but I need to get ready to go grab catch a flight. the flight. But uh, yeah. we can either do part two at some point or, uh, you know... But well, we're de- I, you're definitely going to be you're definitely going to be on here a lot, so... Right on. I just wanted to make this it This will be part one of, one of okay. 35 or so. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's killer, dude. And uh, I, I hate to cut it short, but it's looked and it's like I gotta get a cat at two, so I better like. And I haven't showered, so I need to get going. Oh no! Just all right before before uh, you go, just one one piece of advice for for some up and coming drummers, and then I'll I'll release you. No, no, hey, I guess the one piece of advice is what I've noticed is that there's no guarantees. It doesn't matter. The prerequisite of being good at drums is that is number one. But then number two, the reality that it's not just being good at drums. There's there's luck of timing, like we spoke about with any any gig I've had uh, has been because of somebody I've known or somebody. It's been you know you can't. There's no rules of like you're you're either going to get a gig or you didn't get chosen. You never know why. So to keep and it's hard 
and Nick and I have spoke about spoken about this. Try to keep realizing you did this to start for for fun and that you can achieve whatever you want to. But uh, the one piece of advice I would say to anyone just starting or saying I don't play pro yet or full time is don't discount something else that you're good at that you can make money doing because it it is very, very tough to just only play drums or to go right out on that limb and not work uh, a standard job until that transition. Like just don't discount how important it is to have something to fall back on. I never thought I would say that, but it is extremely true. Um, and it, I'm very thankful to play full time, but it is, uh, I think Scott Rockenfield, the Queens drummer had said, juggle, juggle, juggle. I mean, <laughs> so you have Absolutely. to juggle a lot. So I would just say as everybody's kind of like drumming friend here, I'll just say, I'm not saying it's impossible. I can never say that to anybody, but I will say value, try to find something else you love doing or that you're, you're cool with doing so that if times get lean drumming, you can do that and not be bummed out. I've had to, I had to return to that restaurant so many times in Nashville after like, we're not touring anymore. Or, we're going to go with somebody else or. Right. So that's my advice is like, don't discount being um, well-rounded in some other field that can be the, what I used to, couldn't stand what my dad would say, when are you going to fall back on your music education degree? Well, I already have because of, you know, the books and the clinics and whatever, but, but I remember going nuts, dad, I want to play drums. I don't want to teach kindergarten through 12. So that's my only advice folks is uh, don't be discouraged. If you find yourself going, Oh my God, what am I going to do now? But yet use that, always use the positive to try to go forward. So I hope it's not bad advice. It just, it's real advice. No, I think that's great advice. I think that's that's real world advice. Right on. So awesome, man, Johnny. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it, and uh, I'll let you go and catch your well, flight. Have a safe yeah. have a safe trip. And thank you, Nick, and uh, everyone. Keep checking out drummersresource.com. It's killer, and um, you know, and Nick will have up my email and stuff. If you want to contact me, you can contact me through him. And Nick, I am really going to go bail and get ready. So I will talk to you also uh, in the next couple of days, buddy. Good deal, man. Thanks for doing this. All right. Yeah, man. Thank you so much, Johnny. I appreciate it. Take care. All right. See you. So there you have it, Johnny Rab. You can check him out, johnnyrab.com, R-A-B-B. There's also a ton of links on the show notes for this, which is drummersresource.com forward slash session 13. And there's a bunch of stuff that Johnny's involved in that you can check out there. Visit us online, drummersresource.com or facebook.com forward slash drummersresource. And you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, leave a review, rate the podcast, which I would really, really, really appreciate. Uh, If you could spread the word about it, that would be awesome. If you want to get at me directly, you can reach me on Twitter at Nick underscore Ruffini, R-U-F-F-I-N-I. And until then, keep listening. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Keep drumming, and I'll talk to you soon. Peace.